Hi, Calling family. This is Pastor Michael, and welcome to our church podcast. I'm so grateful for you tuning in today, and I believe today's message is going to strengthen your faith in Jesus. It is such an honor to be here with you this morning, excited about jumping into the Word with you. And, you know, uh, for a while back in the day, there was a lot that would happen on social media called, you know, Throwback Thursdays. I don't know if people do Throwback Thursday much anymore, but, you know, Thursday was the day you would post some old pics and be like, ah, look at this. We're just going to do a throwback from a long time ago. Just real quick to get the message started, it'll tie in. I, it's not just me looking at baby pictures, but uh, uh, let's go ahead and put the picture up here. This is, I think it's ready to go. We'll see if it comes up. There we go. This is me, my friends. Um, I was two and a half years old, and it is Easter Sunday. I am in my Easter best, as you can see. If you can see the feet, they're probably in uh, patent leather shoes. And um, I am um, singing at the top of my lungs. Just like, and I don't know what the heck I was singing, but I was singing. And if you could, you can't really see closely, but you can see I already have this love for adventure because I've got bruises all over my, um, you know, my, my shin from playing hard, playing too hard. And I was just filled with life. Came from this family that just loved to sing. And if you like, I mean, this is the word, the worship team, man, amazing. But any of you guys just loved, anybody here love to sing? Anybody like me and you make a joyful noise? Yeah, joyful, right? It may not be great, but it's joyful, right? That's me. That's me. And so I came from this very musical, musical family. And they would, um, and oftentimes when we were growing up, this was back in cassette tape days, uh, right? I even remember, I'm old enough to remember eight tracks. There might be a few of you around here who can remember that. I was really little back in those days. But my mother loved Barry Manilow. And she loved uh, Karen Carpenter. I still know every word to probably every Barry Manilow song. Some of you are like, I don't even know who Barry Manilow was, right? But we would sing all the time. We sang everywhere. And so in fourth grade, I went, like normal fourth graders were getting ready for the holiday season. It was like just this time of year. And I'm getting ready. We're getting ready for the school production, Christmas production, right? So we go into the cafeteria to practice, and I, like that little girl picture, I was singing at the top of my lungs, just going for it. When the girl next to me, I still remember her name, Tierna. I'd say her last name too, but somebody might know her because maybe she lives in the area. But anyway, her name was Tierna. She raised her hand, and the teacher said, Tierna, what's wrong? What, What do you need? She said, can I be moved to another spot? And the teacher said, well, why? And she looked at me. Tierna didn't said, Dawn sings too low. And you know those times like when you're little, it's almost like a, you feel like all of a sudden you just, like you're the, like a spotlight just goes right, right on you. And all attention, and you can hear all the kids snickering. I had had no idea that I had a, a really low voice and that I could only sing basically three notes. I would just sing because that's just what we did. My mom never told me it didn't sound great. She was just happy and excited for me to sing. So here's this girl pointing me out in front of all of my friends in in elementary school. Everybody's laughing, and she wants to move because she doesn't want to stand next to me and hear me sing. And I had a choice to make at nine years old. I could either be like, well, you know what? That's all right. I'm going to sing anyway. Or I could cower back and just say it's not safe, and I'm not going to sing anymore. And honestly, I made the second choice. I decided nobody ever going to, you will not hear me do karaoke probably to this very day because of that fourth grade experience. 
because, you know, something just sort of got sucked out of me at that particular point. It was not safe. Today, my friends, we're going to talk about what do you do when sometimes you get hit with some stuff and you were going after a dream and it seems to get hit sideways. What do you do when the life starts to get sucked out of you? Let's pray. Father God, I just pray, Lord, this morning that you would indeed, God, just um, speak through me by your power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, any words that I say, Lord, that are not of you, may they not stick, God, but what your spirit wants to say, may that be heard. And may we all, Lord, just sort of lean into the things you're wanting and calling us to do, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you know, sometimes life hits us sideways, and we begin looking and settling for watching other people live the adventure. We're called, I fully believe we are called to live the adventure. God has an adventure for us. In fact, I run a, I run a coaching thing called This Wayfaring Thing. It's a coaching business, not a thing, and, uh, called This Wayfaring Life. And it's all about following passionately on the heels of Jesus. He's called us to this great adventure. But sometimes life hits us sideways. Sometimes it doesn't always feel so safe. Sometimes we settle for watching someone else live it. Why? Because we want to be safe. We want to be secure. We get hit with stuff when we begin to relinquish our dreams in return for security. Things hit us. Maybe for you it wasn't a fourth grade girl standing next to you saying that you didn't sing very good, but maybe it was a score on on an exam that you got. Maybe it was a mistake that you made. Maybe it was a comments of other people around you that all of a sudden, rather than living for it and going after it and believing God for the big things he's put in your heart and in your life, instead, for whatever reason, maybe you begin to just sort of clutch onto some things and pull some things in. After all, it's dangerous. It can be dangerous out there. But God's called us to live the great adventure. Here's the thing, though. He doesn't always tell, tell us the path when he gives us a dream. He doesn't always tell us. He might say, hey, you know, this is a calling that's on your life. And this is, he might give you a glimpse of what it's going to look like. But he doesn't necessarily tell you what the pathway is from where you are right now to where it is. Instead, he just says, hey, you know what? You need to just follow me. And he doesn't ask for our input on the route. You ever notice that? He just says, no, 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 just follow me and trust me, trust me. And so we're just going to take a couple minutes and I'm going to set the story for you here and then we're going to drive it home. But we're going to take a look really quickly, real fast glance at a couple of generations of uh, Bible heroes. And the first one was Abraham. And if you remember that story, when he was Abram, when God called him, he said, Abram, go to a land that I will show you. Just get up and start going. And I'm going to give you this land, but get up and go. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Abram, I'd be like, where are we going? Where's the GPS? Is there a map? Like, what, what's, you know, show me. And, then, and God doesn't tell him any of that. He's like, well, how am I going to know, you know, if, if I get there? When I get there, don't worry, I'll tell you when to stop. And it was all about continuing on. And along the way, while he was in obedience to doing what God had called him to do, God gives him a dream. God begins to speak to him. And here's what he does. It's not even a dream. He takes him outside. And this is Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. He gives him a promise considering his family. Now, mind you, Abram has no children at this point, and he's getting old. It says this. Then the Lord brought Abram outside beneath the night sky and told him, look up into the heavens and count the stars if you can. Your descendants will be like that. Too many to count. 
Have you ever been out in the desert? I know we can't see it so much here in the San Gabriel Valley, but you go out to Joshua Tree or Palm Springs or maybe out driving, I don't know, just out away from the city lights, and you look up and you see the expanse of the sky and how many stars. And God's telling him, Abram, that's how many kids you're going to have, how many descendants you're going to have. So Abram ends up in the, the child of the promises, Isaac, if you know the Bible story, and that same promise of they're going to be at some point, a whole big, huge family goes to his son, Isaac. Isaac has twin sons, and God passes that same blessing on from Isaac to his son, Jacob. And now we find Jacob. Jacob's got 12 sons. It looks like the dream is starting to become a reality. Things are going well. He's got wealth. He's doing really well. He's got 12 sons. And then all of a sudden, life hits and hits him hard. Now, we can't unpack these stories. And some of you are going to be like, wait, that's in the Bible? And these stories are all in the Bible. But these are all the crazy things that happened in Jacob's life. First of all, his oldest son, Reuben, slept with one of Jacob's wives. He's sleeping with one of his stepmothers. Now, you're like, what of? Jacob had two wives and two concubines. That's crazy to begin with, right? So that's just craziness. But Jacob, his oldest son, ends up sleeping with one of Jacob, or uh, Reuben, his oldest son, ends up sleeping with one of Jacob's other's other's wives. That's that crazy. Then when his younger son, his second youngest son, Joseph, was kidnapped, sold into slavery by his own brothers, but Jacob doesn't know that's what happened. He thinks he's actually been torn to pieces by wild animals and that he's dead. His son Judah sleeps with his own daughter-in-law because he thought she was a prostitute and he gets her pregnant. I mean, that's just like crazy on all sides, right? Sleeping with the, first he thinks he's with a prostitute. That's not good to be with a prostitute and it's actually his daughter-in-law and he knows, like, this is like Jerry Springer gone crazy. Right? This is one man's family. That's just not, this, are his, this is his family. And then a famine comes and, he hit, and it hits the land and the family's very existence is threatened. Can I just say this to you? If you have drama in your life, you are a candidate for the miraculous. Because this man had a lot of drama going on in his life. A lot. And yet God had not forgotten him. But with it, he had been given this promise you know, that there, would be, that there would just be this expansive family coming, and instead what he's seeing is his family is getting smaller. Like, what the heck is going on, God? Like, these are some serious blows, but God's like, no, trust me. So in the midst of this famine, the famine that's threatening to destroy his family, he finds out that there's food in Egypt. So he tells us he's got 11 sons left. He tells the older 10, he says, go into Egypt and try and get some food for us so that we can survive this famine. But he keeps his Benjamin at home. Benjamin is his youngest son. Benjamin is the only full brother of Joseph, the son that he thinks is dead. Joseph and Benjamin are the only sons from his favorite wife, Rachel, who has already died by this point as well. He will not let Benjamin out of his sight. Benjamin has become his security. Benjamin has become his hope. He wasn't going to let anyone take away his Benjamin. So he sends his 10 sons to go to Egypt to give food. And when they come back, and he sees them coming back, and it would take weeks, he sees them come back. He doesn't see 10 sons coming back. He sees nine. He's like, what happened? And when his sons get there, they have food for him, but they tell him this. They said, hey, 
Simeon has been taken prisoner by the ruler of Egypt. The ruler of Egypt said that we can't get him back unless you let Benjamin go to Egypt the next time that we go to get food. Now, what he doesn't know is the ruler of Egypt is his own son, Joseph, and he's testing his brothers. But he doesn't know that. All Jacob knows is that now he's down to nine sons because he's got another son in prison and he's being asked to do something he doesn't want to do. But his entire family faces annihilation. But to give food, he's got to let go of Benjamin. So here's what he says back to the scripture in Genesis. Their father said to them, this is to, his, to the brothers, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he's the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. My friends, how do you respond when it appears that God has forgotten you? When it appears that he's forgotten the promise that he's made to you? When your business that he promised to you doesn't do well going through COVID and maybe goes bankrupt. When your checking and savings accounts are bottomed out. When you get a bad health diagnosis. When you lose your job. When a spouse leaves you. When a business partner backstabs you. What do you do when it looks like, hey God, where are you? I thought you gave me a promise, but right now everything that I'm living in my life looks like it's completely against what you promised me. You see, he didn't know the end of the story. If you're like me, we grew up in church and we went to Sunday school and we heard these stories when we were little, so we know the end. But he doesn't know the end. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know it's Joseph that's in Egypt. He has no idea. All he knows is this. He's being told to do the thing he wanted least to do, let go of Benjamin. But here's the irony. The sooner he would do what he least wanted to do, the sooner he would receive back more than he even dreamed was possible. And we'll unpack that here in a minute. But he's afraid. He holds out until all the food is gone. He's continuing to cling to his Benjamin. He's panicked. He's grasping. So it says this in the scripture. But there was no relief from this terrible famine throughout the land. When the grain they had brought from Egypt was almost gone, Jacob said to his sons, go again, buy us a little food. But Jacob said, the man wasn't joking when he warned that we couldn't see him again unless Benjamin came along. If you let him come with us, we'll go down and buy some food. But if you don't let Benjamin go, we may as well stay at home. Remember that the man said, you won't be allowed to come and see me unless your brother is with you. And then Judah says to his father, Jacob, send the boy with me and we will be on our way. Otherwise, we will all die of starvation. And not only we, but you and our little ones. I personally guarantee his safety. If I don't bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame forever. For we could have gone and returned twice by this time if you had let him come without delay. Jacob's clinging to, that, to his Benjamin, and he's clinging so long that they could have made two round trips and kept the family well fed. In the meantime, can you imagine the meager rations 
They're going to bed hungry at night. And their father continues to hang on to Benjamin. Looking at it in hindsight, we yelled to him. We like, hey, would you just let go of Benjamin? Because if you let go of Benjamin, you're going to get Benjamin back. We know because we know how the story ends. You're going to get Simeon back. You're going to get provision. You're going to get Joseph. You think he's dead. We know this, but he doesn't know this. If only we had the benefit of hindsight in our own lives. Yet in our own lives, I think a lot of times we're tempted to just be a lot like Jacob. My friends, do you have a Benjamin that you're hanging on to right now? Is there something that you're hanging on to for security and you know the Lord is saying, hey, let that go. Perhaps God's given you a promise. Maybe you claim Jeremiah 29, 11 over your life. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And you've believed that for yourself. And then out of nowhere, life has hit you. Jacob, Jacob may have been sitting there with God and just saying, God, you said my descendants would be like num- as numerous as the stars, as, lo- as much as the dust on the ground. But now the number of my descendants is dwindling. Joseph's dead. Simeon's in prison. A famine threatens my family. God, where are you? The promise didn't mention any of the heartache. You might feel the same way. God, the promise, you promised, and it didn't mention where I find myself today. And we can feel his pain in the scripture. In in chapter 42, 36, it says, everything is against me. You could just feel it in Jacob. And And what's God's response? Let go of your Benjamin. And you can almost hear him saying, but my Benjamin is all I have left. Benjamins can be so many things, friends. They can be relationships, right? They could be a career, a job, a reputation, a child, a checkbook. It could be our time, our pride. The irony is, is that by hanging on to it, we might actually be postponing the blessing that God wants to instill upon us. So he hangs hangs on to it, just like we do. Maybe you're a single woman in the house, like me. Or maybe you're, I'm not dating anybody, but maybe you're seeing someone. And God's like, you know that's not the right man for you? And you're just like, well, Lord, you show me the picture of who you're going to replace him with, and I'll let him go. (laughs) Don't we try to bargain with God, right? And God's just like, no, no. You just let go of him, and you trust me. He's become your Benjamin, right? God might be saying, I'm calling you to start that business or to do that career move, and you're just like, oh, let me see what they're going to pay me first. God, let me, let, me, let me just see. We want it to be safe, right? And God says, no, trust me. I think I mentioned here two summers ago when I was here, I was getting a lot of transition in my life. And God calling me to leave a, a job I'd been in for 33 years and to trust him and step out. And I felt like I was a trapeze artist. You ever see, you know, obviously we've all seen trapeze artists. Maybe you've gone to the circus and see them live. And I felt like I was swinging on the bar, and God was saying, let go, but I couldn't see the other bar swinging towards me. I didn't know, Lord, I, Lord, let me see the other bar first, then I'll let go. He said, no, you let go, and then the bar's going to come towards you. And I was, with a, I was meeting with, with a coach at that time, and she said, Don, one of the things you need to understand is that there is a bar coming towards you, even though you can't see it, but under you is the net, because God's not going to let you fall. But you got to let go, because it's part of trust. It's trust. It's trust, to, and, it's, and trusting him, letting go of Benjamin requires trust. Requires trust, friends. 
might be like, hey, yeah, Lord, just let me win that lottery, then I'll tithe, right? God's like, no, you trust me. Lottery's not going to solve issues. He is good. And so they continue. Jacob's family continues to ration out the grain to make it last as long as possible, hoping that something will change. Something will change to keep him from having to let go of Benjamin. Can you imagine his prayer? Come on, Lord, bring the rain. Bring the rain. Going out there. Because, of course, in those days with famine, famine's very different than it would be here today. They don't have, you know, wherever you shop. I go to Trader Joe's. There's no Trader Joe's around the corner, right? I mean, they're growing their own food. You don't get rain, you don't eat. So you're out there looking, God, break the famine, break the drought. Break it, God, break it. And you'd be out there praying all the time, looking for clouds, nothing ever happening. God had a plan for provision. He did not, he wasn't planning for them to, to starve, but it was different than the plan that Jacob had in his own mind. Just like for us, God's plan for us might look a little different than the plan we think he has for us. We gotta trust him. Is there a Benjamin you're clinging to? It's time to let him go. So with no food left, and family's existence is completely in jeopardy, like they're going to starve, he finally lets go of his Benjamin. Now, can you imagine this older man, as he watches his Benjamin and the older sons go off into the distance, I don't know if they got camels or donkeys or whatever they have, and they disappear off to the horizon. He would have been tempted after letting go to run after him and grab him and bring him back. He would have been so much sorrow and fear in his heart and anxiety. And it wasn't like there was something changed the next day because they had to travel for days, maybe weeks to get to Egypt and then be there and take all the care of the food before coming back. So there was this season, there would be a season of waiting, which would be between letting go of Benjamin and actually seeing God's fulfillment of the promise. And that's something to remember when God's, we are living such an instantaneous society, right? We want everything now. All right, God, I obeyed you last night. Where is it? Let's go back to the one with the, you know, looking for a mate. You know, and you let go of your boyfriend yesterday. You're like, okay, it's over. And it's, that was Saturday. And it's Sunday. You're like, okay, where's the new guy, right? And the Lord's like, no, you need a season. And just trust me. Whatever aspect of life that you find yourself in, when we, and God, we, when we follow him and we obey him, sometimes he's going to now just have a sit in that season of waiting and trust. Just trust in him. Jacob had to get up every morning just trusting God. But you can imagine him getting up and scanning the horizon, watching for his sons to come back. He'd have a general knowledge of how many days it would take before they'd make it back. And he would be out there looking and looking and looking. And then one day on the horizon, he would see them. He would see people, and he wouldn't know how many were coming. And as they got closer, he'd begin to count. Could he count 11 sons? And as they get closer, he sees, hey, Simeon's back. And then he's looking, is his Benjamin there? He sees his Benjamin, so he's getting excited. He sees all this food. It's food has come in, and he's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is awesome. And then he gets news he never thought he'd ever hear. The son he had grieved for, for all this time, I don't know how many years it was, if it was maybe, maybe 15 years, something like that, the son that he thought was dead, he finds out he's alive, and he's a ruler in Egypt. And can you imagine the joy? He got his Benjamin back. He got his Simeon back. His family's not going to die of starvation. Joseph is alive as a ruler and is a ruler. And Joseph has said, hey, I want you to come live with me in Egypt. And I'm going to take care of you. You're not going to have to worry for food ever again the rest of your life. 
He got more back than he even dreamed possible after he let go of his Benjamin. And if there's anything that he regretted, the only regret he may have had would have been simply this, why didn't I let go of my Benjamin sooner? I just would have let go sooner. All of this would have even come sooner into my life. But he was being tested. Would he trust God? Would he trust him? How about us? Do we trust him? Will we let go of our Benjamin? Are we hanging on to one here today? Are you postponing perhaps a blessing God wants to pour into your life? Because you're hanging on to something, finding security in someone or something rather than God. Is God calling you out? Um, I used to have this dog. I always tell everybody she was the best dog in the world. I don't know if I've told the story here. And if I did, you get to hear it again. Um, but um, this dog of mine, her name was Shelby Dog. And she was a Border Collie Chow mix. And I took her one day with me with some friends. We went up to Central California to go water skiing. They had a boat. And we were going to uh, scout out a trip. I was working with some college students in those days. And we were scouting out a location to, go to take a, do a water ski trip. So we go up, it was Lake Nascimento up in Central Cal, and they had a dog named Tahoe, a big yellow lab. My dog was his border collie chow, and she'd never been on a boat before, so we jump on the boat, and we push off. It was one of those perfect days. Uh, it had been foggy, and, and we actually saw at one point, we saw uh, bald eagles up in a nest, some baby bald eagles that were almost ready to fledge, almost ready to, grow, to, to fly off. We were eating grapes and listening to, we were listening to, this is old, this is going to really date me, this is, we had Braveheart music on from the movie Braveheart, we're just floating out there, you know, with Irish or Celtic music going on, eating grapes, looking at eagles, anyway. We get to this island in the middle of the lake, and they said, hey, we can let the dogs roam here. There's a lot of rabbits. They can just chase rabbits. And like, it was like dog heaven, right? They could just chase rabbits and be totally safe. So we let the dogs off, and they're playing, tracing the rabbits. We're hanging out. We get back in the boat, and we push off from shore, and we call to the dogs. So the dogs come running. Now, Tahoe, he's a complete water dog. He's a Labrador. So as soon as he sees that we've pushed off, we're about 15, 20 feet from the shore, he sees us, and he just plunges right into the water, swims out to the boat, right? They grab Tahoe, throw him in the boat. Well, my dog's not a water dog. My dog's a border collie chow dog. And so she comes running, and she hits the brakes on the sand right in front of the water. And she's just, you could just see her eyes were huge. Looking at me, and I'm in the boat, and I'm calling to her. Her name was Shelby. I'm like, Shelby dog, come on. You can do it. You can do it, Shelby dog. And she's looking at the water, and she's like, there's no way. She starts running back and forth on the beach. Looking, there's got to be another way to get in that boat, right? Back and forth, back and forth. And then I see it click because she was a smart dog, and I knew exactly what she was thinking. In her smartness of her mind, she realized, you know what? It is safer to be in the presence of my master than to be alone on the shoreline. And she jumped into the water and she swam out to the boat and grabbed her and I put her in the boat. Good dog, good dog. I told you my dog was smart, right? I mean, she's thinking these things. And as I later on am reflecting on that and just like how smart she was, because where was the safe place? Was the safe place really the shoreline? No. The safe place is going to be wherever I am. I'm the one who feeds her. I'm the one that takes care of her. 
And sure, I was calling her to do something scary, but I would never put her life in danger. I'm like, no, come on, you can do that. The safe place was wherever I was, which was in the boat, swimming out to that boat. And as I was thinking about that later and about the wisdom in that dog, the Lord said, if only my people were as smart as your dog. So I'm thinking about that. How many times God's like, come on, trust me, jump into the water. I got you. But we're running on the shoreline looking for another way to make it happen. But if we will just say, you know what, where's the safest place to be? The safest place to be is in the presence of my heavenly father. And if he's pushed off from shore, he's not, he's not out to leave me. He's not trying to scare me. He's building my faith. When I jump in like that, he's, gonna, he's got me. The safest place to be is where he is. So I'm going to get close to him. I'm going to be his shadow. I'm going to follow him in, even if it means like facing my fears, letting go of my Benjamins, and watching and see what God does. My friends, God wants to move in a powerful way in your life. When he gives you a, per, a promise, he intends to keep it. He does not always show you the routes on what it's going to look like to see it fulfilled. Sometimes he's going to necessitate calling you to say, letting go of a few things, because he wants to make sure your trust and your faith is in him and not in the things that he's blessed you with. In a lot of circumstances, when you let go, that thing's going to come back around. You're going to actually get it back. In the cases where you don't get it back, it's okay because he's got something better for you or he's got a different plan for you. We can trust him. When we cling to our Benjamins, we hinder his work in our life. But when we let go, we walk by faith. Are we ready to walk by faith here today? He's calling us to step out. Let's let go of those things that hold us back and let's lean in to what he's called us to do. Let's not let our trust be in any other person or any other thing, but find it only in the Lord Jesus Christ and his goodness in our life. Will you close your eyes here with me this morning? And I don't know where you might be here today. I want to do and pray actually for two different groups of people. First of all, there may be somebody here and your life is not right with God. And you might sense him calling you back here today. Maybe it's your first time committing your life to the Lord Jesus. Maybe it's a recommitment for whatever reason you've walked away from him. Maybe you were afraid. Maybe it was even like it had something to do with something like this story where you just decided, no, I want to hang on to things and do things my way. And you went down a different road for a season. And he's calling you back. We serve a good God. If today you're out there and... You'd say, you know what, Dawn, I need to get my life right with God today. Whether it's a first-time commitment or a recommitment. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything like that. But I am going to ask you right where you're at in your seat to just simply put your hand up so that I can see you. Because I want to agree with you in prayer here today. Is there anyone today that would say that that's you? I see a hand right here. Amen. That's awesome. I see another hand back here. That's fantastic. Anyone else? Anybody else here today? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to see this hand here, yes. Those of you that raise your hand, this is the best decision you could possibly make. I'm so proud of you. I'm going to ask us all to do something here today. Just right where you're at, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to make it where we can repeat this prayer. And I'm going to ask everybody to repeat this prayer after me. 
And for the two of you who raised your hands, and there might be more of you who wish you would have, but maybe you were holding back, there was just some concern, just pray this right out of your heart. This is a prayer for you just to really get your life right with God, but we're going to agree with you by saying it with you here today so that you're not alone or singled out or anything like that. And then I'm going to pray for another group of people here as well. So will you all just repeat this after me? Dear Lord, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for looking for me. Thank you for dying for me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Jesus, I know you're the son of God. That you died for my sin. That you rose again three days later. That you're alive today. That you're my savior. And I want to make you my Lord. I give you my life. Come in and live in me. Please forgive me of all my sin. Set me free from anything holding me back. I want to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. One other group I want to pray for, and maybe just keeping your eyes closed here today. If you're clinging to something that you know God's saying, hey, let go of this. And you know God's saying, hey, trust me. Just as a sign, and once again, I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything like that. I just want to pray over you. If that's you today and the Holy Spirit's speaking into your heart, just lift your hand up right where you're at, where I can just be agreeing with you. See the hand there? Who else here today? See hand there, here as well, back here, back here. See a hand, 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 a lot of hands. Anybody else here? Hands, hand. Lord, you see the hands, God, that have gone up across this uh, auditorium. Lord, I pray you would help them, God, to have the courage to let go of what they need to let go of and to trust you. God, in the season of waiting that is there, to know that you've got them. God, I know that you're faithful. When you give promises, you intend to keep them. And when we don't understand the way, it's okay, because you know the way. And we're surrendering ourselves to you, God. You do it your way, God. We're going to trust you. So help us, Lord, to let go, to trust you. And on the other side of this, to have an incredible story that gives you honor and glory, just like the story of Jacob does. God, we thank you for your faithfulness, and we trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's message. Our mission as a church is choosing Jesus, chasing freedom, discovering our gifts, and serving Jesus. I have a question for you. What is your next step with Christ? Take your next step today by visiting thecallingla.com. If today's message touched you, we'd love to partner with you in sharing the hope and the message of Christ. So visit thecallingla.com slash give.